0: Hello and welcome to Enneagram and Coffee the podcast. I'm your host Sarah Jane Case and I am so happy to have coffee with you today. Okay so today we are diving into another mistyping episode for types four and six. Some of you guys may think this is not a common mistype but it is a question that I receive quite often is am I a four or am I a six? So The first thing I want to talk about is to really focus on the internal dialogue versus the behaviors. I say this every mistyping episode, but it's important. Focus on the worldview, the basic fears, the motivations over kind of the stereotypical behaviors of the type. Because here's the thing, we can all exhibit any behavior. It's why we're exhibiting that behavior that matters and that really distinguishes our type. So let's dive into a little bit about what a four is. So The worldview for our type four is that something is missing in my life while others seem to have this. The basic fear for type four is having no personal significance. Fours are driven by being able to express themselves and their identity. Fours want to surround themselves with beauty. They want to indulge in their emotional states, not necessarily just negative, but just they want to feel every feeling to its max. They hold on to the negative things about themselves and tend to release the positive things. Their normalcy is a bit of a blind spot, so they're not always aware that they're just as human as the rest of us. They think that that somehow maybe they're either uniquely flawed or uniquely special and they just haven't kind of found their way yet. In reality, the work being that it's okay to be human and we're all a little human, or you know, 100% human. They are self-referencing, they're oriented toward the past, so they spend a lot of time thinking about the past over the present or the future. And they withdraw in order to preserve the way others see them. They want to be seen in the way that they see themselves. And if they feel like that's not possible, they will withdraw and, and be alone. They kind of have a push-pull with people. Um, they want people to want to be around them, but they don't necessarily want to be around people, if that makes sense. So they might want to be wanted, but not necessarily want to engage in what that takes. So that's our four. Now, our worldview for our type six is that the world is a threatening and unsafe place. The basic fear for type six is of being without support and guidance. Sixes are driven by seeking security and safety. They want to feel supported by other people. They seek certainty. So sixes tend to seek just like some sort of proof that there is certainty in the world. They test the way others feel about them. So they kind of have this where fours, they want to be wanted, they're not necessarily like the six going to test the way others feel. Sixes are kind of always looking for ulterior motives, looking for um, feelings that aren't being expressed, things like that. They tend to be fortune tellers, right? They try to see the future. And typically when they try to see the future, it's like not positive things on the other side. It's like there's the negative things that could possibly show up in the future that they tend to be fixated on. It doesn't feel like constant anxiety for them though. So a lot of times if you're mistyping yourself as a six, and maybe you're a six, but you're feeling mistyped, it's because a lot of the language around sixes have to do with that anxiety. A lot of times anxiety doesn't feel like blatant anxiety. Um, it feels more like being prepared, being aware of what could go wrong or what's coming up, that kind of thing. They seek alliances. So while the four is gonna withdraw, Sixes are seeking alliances. They're kind of testing who's loyal to them, who's not loyal to them. And when someone is loyal, they really stick by them. They invest their time and energy into them. They have an easy time making friends, typically. They have a complex relationship to authority, So they really have, the authority figures typically have to earn their trust, but once they do, they really seek to make that authority figure happy. They really want to please the authority figure and can often make decisions based off of the opinions of that authority figure versus a four who may be even a little bit antagonistic toward authority figures, a little bit like, I don't want to fit into your box. Sixes can really seek that sense of belonging through fitting in there. So That is my overview of kind of like the similarities, the differences, the basic understanding of those two types. You might already feel yourself resonating toward one or the other, but I want to encourage us. Well, what we're going to do next is we're going to talk to a couple of people. We're going to talk to the lovely Catherine, and we're going to have another conversation with one of our type sixes. And we're going to really dive into what it sounds like to be a number, what they're experiencing as their number, so you can hear the differences In the way they experience the world. So let's dive into our first call. Hi, Kat. I am so excited you're here. Hi, Sarah Jane. Me
1: too. I'm excited to be here.
0: Um, So for those of you who aren't familiar with Kat, Kat, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yes. Um,
1: I am a trauma-informed life coach for people who are ready to heal their internal dialogue and understand their origin stories. Um, and I just love feelings and being with what's actually in the present moment and the healing power of faces.
0: Mm. So, um, I think that's a really perfect segue into what type you are.
1: You <laughs> <laughs> haven't <a> guessed already.
0: <laughs> so yeah, Cat is our type four. So can you talk a little bit about what elements of type four you relate to?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I feel like when it comes to the Enneagram, I'm still so new to it. So I call myself like Enneagram savvy. But I think the parts of getting to be in the depths of things, um, getting to just stay in a feeling, like on my drive here, I was like, okay, how do I want to be for this podcast? And I put on some music and I'm like, this is the vibe I want to have. And I can just like enter that space. Um, I think that's like probably the biggest thing about being a four introspection and like allowing my creativity to move with my body um, and having the, um, how, how to say it, permission to connect with that and to like, let that be who I am, um, regardless of expectations or anything else around me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think what I love, I love the way you described the the element of, um, how did you say it? Like letting my creativity move in my body. Is that how you said it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's really beautiful and allowing that honesty with your feelings versus what a lot of times we get like melancholy attached to for. Mm-hmm. And I think, and you tell me what you think. Do you think it's more like honestly experiencing your feelings versus like sitting only in sadness?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be annoying and be like, well, it's both. And, I, I, the work that I do identifies how we like show up in different parts. And I think you interviewed, who was it, Jerome does the brain-based Enneagram. So I can like notice parts of me that like show up and want to take over. And sometimes that melancholy really can do that very heavily. Um, But what's really cool about that is as I've come to understand myself and my own story and feeling is I see how that part takes care of me. Like my melancholy actually allows me to rest sometimes. Mm. Um, So it's almost like when I feel it creeping up, instead of like drowning in it, it, it gets to be like a blanket that I pull up with myself to like be with as like a source of comfort as opposed to something that, I need to like get out of. And yeah. in that way, it's kind of like, if you are cold and you put a blanket on, eventually you'll be warm enough and you might like stick your foot out. And as opposed to like, just being like, I'm going to, I don't need the blanket. I'll
0: be fine. Yeah. yeah that's beautiful. Yeah. Do you think that, like, I kind of can see how our society is kind of almost rejecting the ability for for us to treat our sadness or melancholy like a blanket oh, is almost yeah. like we are supposed, like the idea is you're supposed to escape it. And yeah. so it's almost second nature. It's not yeah. second nature to like oh, sure. let it be what it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that was um, coming to, to being a four for me. Um, I know this is about mistyping and actually just something interesting is when I took the test, I know um, I've learned from you, like, only you can know your type. And that was so helpful. Um, but like, to be highest, like off the chart, like in two and six. And then way down below, I was actually tied with four for other types. But when I read about it, I realized that like, being a four and reading about the four was like a relief to me, as opposed to I could see the rules I've been asked to play in the other two types. And it was just that I could know what I know and feel what I feel. Mm-hmm. So that like, all of me that was so like feelings are so big sometimes I could start to see it as a resource as opposed to like something that was wrong with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is really like for anyone who is a for listening, like that is such good for work to allow that to be okay. And to just allow you to be okay. Yeah. That's like the root of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, Um, So what elements when you read six, like what elements of that were you like, oh, that's not me. Like, I don't relate.
1: You know, I like don't remember. (laughs) It's so funny. I just remember my body tensing up like uh, I might actually like cry a little bit because I could just see my younger self being asked to perform and to like that sense of loyalty, the things that are like in um, like way too attached that like. I actually wasn't as afraid as I was. I had just been taught to be afraid in order to protect somebody else's fear and just to recognize like my own bravery and not that any of those things are negative about sixes. Like, oh my gosh, I love them so much. And also being free to just let go of loyalty and realize that like authenticity was like core to who I was.
0: Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. Like so much of when we're mistyping, it can happen because of a familial or a cultural overlay where we appear like another type maybe because we've been conditioned like that to behave in that way. And I think with, I think four and six in particular, I can imagine there being a lot of wounding there because fours want to fully express themselves honestly as they are. Mm -hmm. And the six role asks you to blend in and asks you to conform. And that can be I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of a little four.
1: Yeah. And I was just, um, this will be on my page. I do these little things called tiny truths. And this will be one later. I was just sharing with a friend, but it relates is that I feel that connection is our current cultural currency of worthiness. So for a four that's like been trained to be a six, is like, <laughs> All like all of me is on fire Um, because if I withdraw to be with myself and be with my uniqueness and honor that I am worthy just as I am, I'm no longer connected and I'm missing like I'm isolated. And that's just a totally different language to learn to speak.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Another thing you mentioned about um, something you post on Instagram and one of the things I wanted to ask you about um, or just kind of bring up is that you do a series called Whatever Is. Yes. And I think that is the most beautiful four thing. And it's so healing for me as a seven to remember to honor whatever is good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about it
1: a little bit? Yes. Yes. What's funny is starting it. Like anytime you start something online, it's kind of has to be settled to like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing this and keep showing up, um, which is perfect for whatever is is. Cause I felt like nervous putting it out there and having it have no response. But um, I'm so grateful to hear that it's like created space for you as well. I think it just comes from this place that all that we have within us is there to take care of us. There are things that we perceive as enemies within ourselves. And yes, they have had to play that role. Um, But when we actually start to connect and touch down, um, we're able to realize that like everything again within us is a resource. Um, Something I say to my clients is that feelings aren't facts, but they are data Saying you actually have all the data you need, but you don't need to know all the data you have. So every time something uncomfortable pops up, whatever it is is here to be like, this is actually here to take care of you. And is there a moment where you can relate to it from your true self and see that it's here to be with you um, and help you understand who you are?
0: Oh, my gosh. That is so good. <laughs> I feel like this interview is going to change me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, okay, let's just do more of this. A gift is a seven for you to be with or whatever it's yeah,
0: it is. Yeah, 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 and I love that. I love, and I think for forces too, like to hear feeling, like the idea of feelings aren't facts is so important for a force to hold and absorb. But- what can happen in that conversation is that it can feel dismissive and it can feel invalidating. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's like, yes, these do still have an important role. This data is still extremely yeah. important, but it's also doesn't have to dictate your life.
1: Yeah. And even like, like we were saying about the melancholy earlier, that like can be something you can drown in. That might be what you perceive as a fact, which where it isn't a fact, does it get, can it be a blanket? Does it get to be a blanket or what role does it have mm. um, in your world and beginning to see like a 360 view around whatever feeling or emotion you're experiencing? Because it is valid, but it, we, when we approach it, we aren't necessarily seeing the whole truth of it.
0: Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about this forever. And I'm like, I have other <laughs> questions I have to ask you. Okay, so I do want to know about your relationship to safety and security.
1: Well, in my work, it's so important to create a safe space. What that looks like is actually not requiring someone to trust you, not asking them to be brave, not asking their capability to step in. Um, So that's so much of the space that I create in how I am with people in my job. Um, as a trauma-informed life coach, which is so important. Um, but I actually had such a peculiar question because creating that and I think some of that six, that part of me that's a six, um, has gotten me into trouble <laughs> in a loss of self. Like I can abandon myself in order to create safety for other people, which means I'm not safe, which feels like tough because What does it mean to not abandon myself and allow an environment to be less safe? And actually, that was one of the best questions my therapist ever asked me was like, how can you be less safe? And I was like, what did you just say? (laughs) So I've come to realize that security is really important to me. And yet honoring the fact that there's so much risk taking in my story. There's so much of that that I do, even in safe spaces with people and doing my work, that for me to be with a story is a risk. like, And to show up and like fail and to show up again, to recognize I'm not as bound to safety as I thought I had to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned your story, and I think that that's an important piece of foreignness is story and identity. So I would love to hear kind of what's your relationship to that? What's your relationship to identity, self-expression? Sharing
1: Yeah again like one of those super easy questions I feel like my history has so much conditioning and harm and what we call covert abuse in it that in some ways I feel like it's only the past few years where I've started to have like a grounded sense of who I actually am mm-hmm. And I think getting permission to need what I need, Especially as a four, which is a lot of alone time, and to continue to allow that to be just an ongoing process um that can shift and change and to be kind to also the identity that I used to have, even though it wasn't authentically me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's kind of super rambling answer, but I'm approaching the question of my identity and expression with so much more kindness than I was, and which is a difficult thing to do, I think, when we hold stories that have a lot of loss of identity.
0: Yeah. What does that look like for you? The kindness?
1: Well, I have like a little bit of a vulnerable, I'll make it a brief story. Um, I'm a mom of four. I'm also really young. So um, that can give you some clue. And I have some spiritual trauma in my background. And it's part of what's led me to the work I do. So this being said, once I had someone, I've had scathing things said to me. About being a mother. Mm. And um, one time someone said to me that I ignored my kids. And it was just like a dagger to my heart. And it's not true. And yet it's so close to the things that I am afraid of being true that it hit home. And then a few years later, someone else said to me basically the same exact thing (laughs) that was so full of kindness, which is you seem like the kind of person who would need a lot of time alone. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, this is who I am as a person. Like when I'm with people, when I'm with my kids, when I'm with others, like I'm so there. And also like, I need a lot of retreating because of just needing to, to process. Cause there's so much I'm taking in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the question? It felt like something to share, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you shared that because I think a lot of times in when we're thinking of like, it's actually interesting because when I think of you a lot, when I think, when people ask me, how do you do it and parent? And I think Kat does it with four children, you know? (laughs) And it's like, I see you as as hope of possibility for how to be autonomous and be a mom, you know, how do you hold your own space and be a mother? And so I think it's, that's an interesting flip of the same experience to Mm -hmm. to, and it really speaks to our inner dialogue you know of how we view other people based off of what we're scared of being yeah exactly and
1: I think I think sometimes when it comes to identity and self-expression there is a reason we have moved so far away from it Mm -hmm. and that story that I shared about mothering and then needing time alone and having it's different than a reframe it was a whole yeah flip is there some cost that's why we're so far from ourselves in the first place is we have paid like a lot in order to protect who we are, I think, but also we have moved away from who we are. And so when we actually begin to show up, when I actually started taking time for myself, what are the accusations that come up both within me, but also around me? And we can live to avoid ourselves because the reality is it's
0: dangerous. It's
1: mm-hmm.
0: not so okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something to that, like, yes, it, it, like holding that, you know, people are going to project onto me and it's not my responsibility mm-hmm. and I still express and I, that isn't easy and that's not natural and it is a cost and it's okay that it's scary. Yeah. That's really good. Mm. Yeah. So Kat, what does relaxation look like for you?
1: Um, well, being alone, um, I have just realized that like for me to have lingering is so important. I love lingering with other people. And also like, it's been a new thing for me. I've been around people like my whole life. I had kids right away. And so there's like alone time is actually quite new for me. And so anytime that I can just be literally all of your names, stare out a window, stand on my imaginary balcony, like there's a com- there's commercials with it now too. But like when I get home, like I will be sitting in my car for a good, like five to 10 minutes, if not more. And I'll get a text from my partner saying,
0: so like, hello, are you coming in? I'm, I am that person. I do that to my <laughs> husband too. I text him like he's in his car. All the time, yeah.
1: I just have to finish the song. So, just um, <laughs> permission for that, also awareness of how it impacts other people. But like, just being able to allow fluidity to my life. And with four kids, what does that look like? Um, yesterday, I didn't happen to have like something on my calendar, and so I didn't make myself get stuff done in the morning. I just decided to be, um, and I have to take the windows where they are
0: yeah I love the word lingering, and I think that's language I want to hold on to for our fours because that's something that I see in my husband so intensely is just the desire to linger, to savor and to really like experience everything to its fullness. And I think that it's something that most of society wants to rush force through. We want you to like move on to the next thing. What's next? So I think that's a beautiful language for foreignness, yeah. It's
1: one of my favorite words. It's such good.
0: Yeah. it's yeah, a good one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What does it feel like or look like for you when you're in a season of stress?
1: Um, I feel like so much of my life has been stress. So it's like, okay, well, what is, how to cap that? I start to really worry about what I'm offering other people. Mm-hmm. And is it enough? Is it um, just like that classic to like, Little movement there, um, which makes so much sense because that's like, again, my high score, how I was conditioned to live, that I'm not seeing everyone appropriately around me, that I've missed something. My hypervigilance goes on. I also start to get really um, angry about my environment. (laughs) So um, you're with me in my new office um, virtually. And this has been so good for me um, to have a space that's sacred. If I don't have something that's sacred, whether that's my bathroom counter or um, even just like the clothes I'm wearing that day, like I will feel undone. Like, mm-hmm. like I just don't have form to my body.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what
1: stress looks like for me.
0: Okay. So this is the big question. We kind of joked about it beforehand. Yeah. I'm always like nervous to ask it, but what would you say is your life's purpose?
1: Yeah. So I kind of wrote something down. We'll see if I can like symbol through it, but I, I feel... Um, right now, and that it could change. And like, there's freedom for it to change. But to be with people in places where they've known powerlessness, because that's often one of the places where it will be the most afraid to go. And for them to also discover the hidden healing and goodness that's often in that exact same moment, showing them who they are. In many ways, like I shared earlier with the the comment about my mothering, um, that was a moment of powerlessness for me. And also then later, so open to receiving the same exact words of healing goodness that when I'm alone, I'm actually, I bring so much more to the people around me when I show back up. And it's like that both and, and my life's purpose, I feel like is just walk straight towards that with people to hold the safe space for them to know those moments and then reclaim themselves.
0: Oh my gosh. You're like, let me see if I know this. (laughs) (laughs) It <laughs> was like perfectly articulated. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a really, really good segue into talking about how people can stay in touch with you, the work that you do in the world, who you would like to meet. Who I want to meet? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, who yeah. Who are you calling in? Oh, yeah. Okay. People who have a background in
1: spiritual trauma. Um, there's so much nuance to that and identity definition that I offer, like, a lot. There's a lot of <laughs> healing work to be done there. So the work that I do as a trauma-informed life coach is when we want to change anything in our lives, it involves our stories. And so being able to have that be held well is, is what really makes the shift in things that we want to see be different in our world, even in the here and now. Mostly, I'm showing up on Instagram. I've got that Kate Sled, We do the whatever is. I have our tiny truths, which follow a theme. Um, and also, I have a website, katherinesled.com, and you can. I've chosen to leave up everything that I've written. It's <laughs> probably a very poor thing on my own, like, melancholy journey out of some faith background and into where I am now. Um, so you can read there. And yeah, I just, people that have that inner critic um, in some ways. There's a certain point that I think we all get to where we're like, wow, if I don't have self-love, like I'm going down. And also particularly people who are isolated, there's so much held there. And I don't believe in saying things like you're not alone. I believe in being with you in the aloneness. So yeah, that's kind of like a little bit of a like scattered, but kind of picture of the work I do and where I am and who I just love to hold space with.
0: Mm one so beautiful two you guys Kat's writing is just absolutely enchanting so make sure that you go check it out I'll put the links in the show notes so you guys can easily find her Kat thank you so much for joining and being vulnerable and open I know you're going to make a big difference in people's journey so thank you thank you
1: for having me Sarah James
0: so good to see you you too I absolutely adore Kat and I hope that you did too and next we're going to call up our type six Hannah from Mama Log. Hi Hannah. I'm so
2: excited you're here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be talking with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do? So I'm Hannah. I'm a stay-at-home mom and I am one half of the online personality, My Mama So we are a mommy humor account that just tries to encourage the everyday parent because before you have a kid, you sort of get roped into this thinking of like, oh, it's perfectly natural. We've literally been doing this since the beginning of our existence. How hard could it be? <laughs> and you have kids and you're like, oh my gosh, this is mostly <laughs> difficult. And no one accurately warned me. So like, Why isn't
1: there a training program for this?
2: Seriously, honestly, why don't they offer <laughs> masters in just parenthood? <laughs> so <laughs> we try to help your average parent just understand that they're not alone
0: and that's all we do. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So you are a type six on the Enneagram. I am. So tell me a little bit about when you read type six, what resonated for you? How did you see yourself in it?
2: (laughs) Well, first of all, I think I came to the Enneagram what most people would say is like the wrong way. I've heard a lot of people say, don't take a test. That's not the right way to go about it. Read books and learn. And the thing that feels really yucky to you is probably what you are. Mm. I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> when. <laughs> so I resisted the Enneagram for a long time because I do not like being put in a box. And every personality type that I've ever taken has, or every personality assessment that I've ever taken has always Tried to put me in a box, and then the people around me, who I had shared the results of different things with, then tried to compound that by putting me in like even smaller boxes. And I don't like that. So I really thought Enneagram was just like a thousands-year-old trend, and I wasn't sure why. <laughs> a <year> trend. <laughs> like, what is going on? But I resisted it for a long time. And the thing that finally piqued my curiosity to the point where I couldn't resist anymore is there's a band called Sleeping at Last and they have an entire Enneagram album, which is utterly beautiful. And I was listening to it, and I was like, I have to know. I have to know which song is mine because they have a song for each type. And so I went online, took an assessment, and it came back six. And I started reading about it. And I know that this was such a cliche, but I felt so seen for the first time in my life. Like All of a sudden, here was something that was saying, <laughs> you are very contradictory in who you are. like Anything that we say about you, even though it'll be true, the opposite will also be true. And there had never been anything that explained why I was so, I guess, intricate in my personality and why I could respond so differently to things. And I was just fascinated. So I know people say like, usually the Enneagram is like the thing that you don't want it to be is what you are. But I wholeheartedly embrace being a six because I find it so beautiful to finally be like, okay, I'm not just weird. I mean, like, I'm probably weird, but I'm not the only weird one out there. Like Mm -hmm. there, I I think that it's, it's beautiful to be multifaceted and that's what a six Mm -hmm. gives me. And that's what I respond to.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love all of that. I think... (laughs) What's so cool is this episode is about mistyping four and six, and you touched on three very specific similarities. One, not wanting to be put in a box. Mm -hmm. Two, intricate and complex. Um, And then three, feeling like I'm not the only one like this. I think that sixes and fours can really find that home in the Enneagram, whereas a lot of numbers maybe find a little bit of self-doubt or like, oh, I'm being, I'm being exposed. I think a lot of fours and sixes that I've interacted with at least have been like, oh, here I am. Yeah. Like sees me.
2: Absolutely. It's been beautiful. <laughs> so I'm definitely new on my Enneagram journey, but I don't resist it at all. I'm super excited about it. <laughs>
0: oh, I love that. I love it. So can you talk to me a little bit about what your relationship to safety and security looks
2: like? I love safety and security. <laughs> We have an intimate relationship. (laughs) I definitely see that I seek after that. And that was not news to me at all. It's not like that's something that I read in my Enneagram assessment and was like, oh, I've never realized that about myself. Mm -hmm. I've always known that I am a play it safe. Give me all of the rules first so that Mm -hmm. I know what you expect from me. And I know that I am capable of doing it well Mm -hmm. and that I can either meet or exceed your expectation. I really, really like that. Safety and security makes me feel safe and secure. That's like my happy
0: place. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. But, um, I think that there's something really important to hold on to, too, for those of you who are listening in the language of, I want to know what you expect of me and I'm going to either meet or exceed those expectations. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like for you in your life?
2: Things that I've definitely seen, not necessarily it be a problem, but where it can be a difficulty or a bit of a trial is, like I said earlier, I'm a stay at home mom now. But when I was out in the workforce, there's so much emphasis on being a self-starter these days and really diving in and taking initiative and just going for it, you know, grab the bull by the Mm -hmm. horns. And that is not me. That is not me at all. And I remember I used to be a banker for four years, which was like the worst possible job for me to be in. (laughs) It was awful, but I was in banking and I remember I had a manager who just constantly was telling me, take a chance, take the initiative, like make that sale and write that contract. And I'm like, I literally don't know what I'm doing (laughs) and I'm not someone who's going to, to just pick it up as I go along. I don't do trial and error that's way outside my comfort zone. Also, why would you want me to? This is someone else's finances. Will you please just teach me? I'm not asking you to hold my hand necessarily, although I understand that to you, that's what it feels like. You feel like you're babysitting me instead of me being an employee who does what you ask, but I don't understand what you are asking of me. Mm -hmm. Can you please teach me? Because I want to do it well. I want to be the best banker that you have. Mm -hmm you have to kind of let me in. Trial and error does not work for me at all. Yeah.
0: I love hearing that. And I think that like some of us more assertive types, like three, seven, and eight, we can do that to sixes. We can be like, jump in. I need you to jump in. But the reality is we need our sixes to be effectively trained so that they will come behind us and finish all our dropped balls. (laughs) Totally. We need you like back there, like supporting us and closing the deal, you know, the things that we start.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So
0: yeah. I love that. Um, So I, what is your relationship to identity and self-expression? Identity and self-expression, it feels like a relationship
2: that's constantly in flux, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel much more secure in my identity and actually confident in expressing that now that I'm 35 than I did when I was 25. I think that 25-year-old me would have been so proud of the journey that I had come from from 15-year-old me. And now 35-year-old me is like, oh my gosh, I 25-year-old me could never, ever have seen me being who I am today. And yeah. I can't wait to see what 45 45- and 55-year-old me think. Like They're going to be awesome people. But identity and self-expression, it's really funny because I actually, even though I can be really loud, I'm actually an introvert. So I find myself it all depends on how comfortable I am in my surroundings mm-hmm. and how safe I feel to actually truly be me. Like with my husband whom I I love dearly and we've been married a decade and we've known each other for 16 years, I feel completely comfortable to be myself in every facet of who mm-hmm. I am, whether I'm feeling quiet or whether I'm feeling loud, whether I'm feeling very planned out or whether I'm being kind of never really spur of the moment, but a little more playful. And he's good with that. And he has always encouraged me to grow and to express myself and, and see wherever life takes me. But his, it's not fair to blame anything on his family. I don't blame anything on his family, but I don't feel the same security with them to fully be myself. Like I have literally asked him before, okay, how how myself can I be around them? And he takes my hand lovingly and he goes, you can always be yourself. Just, you know, like dial it back a little. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's so funny because so much of my identity and self-expression truly is tied to that idea Mm -hmm. of safety and security of if I really go full on me in whatever Mm -hmm. that feels like in this situation, because like I said, I, I can sometimes be really loud and I can sometimes be really quiet, which is why I adore the contradictory nature of, of the six. It makes a lot of sense to me, but however full on me I decide to be is very much tied to how safe I feel in someone's presence. If I feel like that's going to be accepted and nurtured and encouraged, or if I feel like that's going to be judged, because I can shut it down
0: at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder, so What is it that makes you know that you're safe with someone? Is it like a feeling? Is it? Hmm.
2: That, oh, that's a really good question. With my personal family, I've always felt like I was safe, but I've also had 35 years to grow Mm -hmm. in that relationship. But with my husband, I think that the thing that made me feel like he was someone that I could trust right away is one of our early conversations. So the way that my husband and I met is I used to work at a camp. And it was a rental facility. I ran the dining hall and then different groups would come through. And when his group came through, he was a leader with one of the groups. And when his group came through, I like addressed the hundreds of people who were in the room and told them how to correctly clean off their dishes and then pass them through the window. Such a tiny, simple thing. Mm -hmm. And he told me, he was like, I remember watching you stand up in front of this group of hundreds of people and talk like it was nothing And I thought that you were so brave to do that, Mm -hmm. which as someone who like anxiety and fear is like my base nature, Mm -hmm. no one had ever called me brave before, but that was always what I wanted to be. Like I wanted so desperately to be a brave person. And I thought that it just wasn't something that I was capable of. And then here was this stranger telling me that the way that they saw me was as the best possible version of who I always wanted to be, but didn't think that I could be. Mm -hmm. And I was like, not does he just see me, but he Mm -hmm. sees who I want to be, but I don't see myself that way. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, I'm transformed. Like, because you think that I'm brave because you see something in me that I don't acknowledge in myself. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden I feel like I can actually live a life that's like that. Mm -hmm. So I guess for me, it's just those small moments where he like, he had no idea that he was saying something transformational to me. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's those small moments because you're always looking for them. You're Mm -hmm. always looking for that acceptance or sometimes even that permission to be more than what you've been before. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And because you're always on the lookout for it, or because I'm always on the lookout for it, when you spot it, all of a sudden you go, okay, you, I trust you. I will do life with you.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about bravery because I think that some of my favorite ways that people talk about sixes is actually that sixes are the most brave of all of us because you're the ones who are acknowledging the fear. Yes. You know, you're the ones who are aware of everything we supposed you know that we are the rest of us are ignoring and you're doing it anyway.
2: That that's something that I love about the type six is honestly makes me feel, I don't know if we're allowed to like use swear words on your podcast. Okay. (laughs) Okay, It makes me feel like such a badass, like totally and completely because I can go, I don't want to do this. And I recognize Mm -hmm. that I am scared out of my mind to do this, but I also recognize that I can do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to live my life and I'm, I'm going to do it Amidst the fear. Like I'm not even gonna try to necessarily block the fear out. Let's just find a way to coexist. And it makes me feel so strong. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Being a six is such an adrenaline high. <laughs> like it totally is. Just that's, that's the main that. of life. Because you don't have to repel off a mountain to feel like a superhero. Sometimes it's just going to the grocery store. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. I don't. I'm just not feeling it, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I know I can.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, that's good.
0: <laughs> um, I love that being a six is such an adrenaline high. That's so good. <laughs> so you just go to the grocery store as an adrenaline high. I think that's absolutely quotable. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that. So Hannah, what does relaxation look like to you? How does it feel to rest? So relaxation to me
2: is... Honestly, like, I think that I am most relaxed when I'm either listening to music that I've listened to a hundred times before, but it still speaks to me. It's still Mm -hmm. like, I know every note and I, but I have grown with the message or reading a book that I've read before, because it feels like I'm not meeting new people. These characters Mm -hmm. are already my friends. And I know that I'm already safe with the story. Like I know that nothing crazy that I can't handle emotionally is going to happen it honestly feels like reconnecting with old friends where you can always just pick up again and you don't have to try so those two things basically just listening to music and reading something that I have read previously even though I know for a lot of people that would sound super boring I love it I love revisiting my friends and so those two things
0: I, um, I know that you're like, I'm kind of new to the Enneagram, but you just said like the most six thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's something I want to like really highlight this because there's something really special to the notion of, I want what I know I love. Yeah, I want to be with the people who I feel safe with. I want to do the things I know I love. And I think that there's something really unique about the sixes in that regard. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So what does stress look like for you?
2: The opposite of what rest looks like for me. It is small talk and trying new things. I feel like <laughs> I love deep conversation, yeah. even if it's with someone that I don't know. If someone's willing to go there with me, A, I feel so honored that they are letting me in and B, I feel so challenged at different ways that people think or different ways that people see the world. I really am fascinated by that. And that mm-hmm. makes me feel very alive but small talk is like death. I, oh, it just kills my soul slowly and deliberately and as painfully (laughs) as it possibly can. And I do not like small talk and trying new things is so worrisome to me because it's like, I don't know that I'm safe in it. I don't know that everything is going to work out. I don't like technology and technology tends to not like me. And so even like doing this today, even though it's super simple and it seems to be working really well, the technology that we're using to record, I was totally stressing out to my husband about last night. I was like, I don't understand. He goes, just kind of play with it. I said, I don't play with things. I need to know how it works. <laughs> so yeah, new things um, are not not easy for me.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, the Enneagram is so helpful in the sense that knowing you were a six, I emailed you days before I would normally email anyone else. Like normally I would email someone yesterday and I was like, Oh, she's a six. So she probably would appreciate like an earlier heads up. Yeah. But it's like only Enneagram. (laughs) So like, thank you Enneagram. Right. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Um, so I also think like there's something to what you said about, you know, not liking small talk. And I wanted to know, like, are you a question asker? Yes. What kind of questions do you like to ask?
2: Um, It depends on the person. I really do try to feel where someone is at and what I think that their need is and how could I potentially meet that need for them, even if they're a stranger. So it it honestly depends on the person, but I'm trying to think, I don't know that I necessarily have a go-to question. I think that I usually start out with a compliment just something that, or if I'm noticing that someone feels or is acting like they might be a little insecure about something, complimenting the thing that I think that insecurity is stemming from. And let's build up some strength. Let's go from there. And then once there's a little bit of a rapport, let's go a little bit deeper. Like, oh, you said, I, I remember one time I met one of my husband's friends and he had just like moved to a new state and taken on a new job. And I said, "Wow, that's really brave." He, um, he said that he didn't know anyone there; like it was just an opportunity, and he took it. I said, "Wow, that's really brave." And he kind of sheepishly said, "Like, no, I'm not a brave person. If you knew me, you wouldn't think that I was brave." I said, oh, "Okay, so you're saying that what you did was really out of character for you?" And he said, "Yeah, it, that's totally not who I am." I said, "Well, then I'm I'm pretty sure that that makes it all the more brave." And he was just like. Like I love when I can get that mic drop moment, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like when I feel like I've spoken something into someone's life that makes them see themselves in a whole new way. I love when I can do Mm -hmm. for other people what my husband did for me. And so much of that is not necessarily a go-to line of questioning Mm -hmm. as opposed to it is sort of a, just a go-to empathy of trying to feel where people are at and what do they need and how can I help them? Even if it's just in this moment, even if it's not a lifelong journey, what do they need right now? Yeah. And so I don't know that that answers your question. I don't know that I really have an answer for your question. That's this. This is my process.
0: Yeah, <laughs> That's sort of I, I loved that. I loved <laughs> hearing you talk about it. I also am curious about like, what is it like for you when you're making a big life decision? What does that feel like internally? And then kind of how do you feel like you act externally? Externally, I shut down.
2: I know that for a fact, I know that when internally there's a lot going on externally, I feel like I can't take on anything else because internally I'm already fighting just to keep my head above water. (laughs) So anytime that I feel overwhelmed, I am either really slow to respond to text messages or will flat out like not respond at all. And three (laughs) weeks later, I'll go to my friend and go, Hey, I'm really sorry. Here's what was going on but i didn't feel like i had the emotional bandwidth to be able to share that with you because i felt like if i said it out loud i would just come apart so i was just trying to keep it keep it together keep it inside keep it secret keep it safe you know so that's sort of what it is externally it just looks like a total a total shutdown just all systems turn off inside it is a constant i won't even say pros and cons list because i don't necessarily see cons I always see the validity in each side. And so I'm constantly going back and forth, not saying, well, this would be better and that would be worse, but saying, and they're both really good. How do I choose between these two things? Or they both come with risk. Which one do I feel like would be more worthwhile if I'm going to risk anyway? So inside, it's just sort of like a mental game of Pong, just constantly constantly just like blocking the shot and knocking it back and blocking the shot and knocking it back. It's not even as advanced as tennis. It's just pong.
0: Totally. I, you know, I love what you said because I recently had like a three hour long, really incredible conversation with the six. And the cool thing that she would do is that mid sentence, she would contradict herself. So yep. she would, she would say an opinion and then she would say, but I can also see how da da da." And it was kind yeah. of like constantly back and forth, back and forth. And I think there's some kind of self-regulation that happens there. Um, do yeah. you resonate with that? Absolutely. It feels like
2: you're on a debate team, but there's no other team. To <laughs> <debate>. It's just <laughs> it you. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just <coughs> you arguing both sides. But then not only are you the only person arguing both sides, but you're also the judge trying to figure out who wins. Like yeah. you're all the things. And I mean, I guess the positive to that is that it's sort of impossible to make a wrong decision, but the negative to that is that you're never fully confident that you've made the right decision either. Mm -hmm. And that's where then you just sort of have to have to just make a choice and go with it and hope that it doesn't blow up in your face, which as someone who has so much anxiety and fear at the core of who they are, hoping that something doesn't blow up in your face is like not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not a great hope because you're fairly yeah. certain that it's going to blow up in your face anyway.
0: Totally. Do you think that like the years of your life, you know, you said you're different now than you were back when you were Definitely, 25. Yeah. Do you think this is something that you've really grown into? Cause when you talk about it, it's like, you're so aware of it and it also seems so separate from you, you know, yeah. um, is that something you've
2: grown into? I do think so. And it's something, it's something that I've grown into through active choices that I've made, not even realizing that fear was a person, like part of my personality necessarily. I don't even know if that's the right terminology for how I relate to fear. But I guess, let's see, let's just take it back to the beginning. I've always felt like fear and anxiety were something that I... Struggled with and other people didn't struggle with it, and I just didn't understand the tricks that other people had. Like, other people were just better at dealing with it than I was. Um, So, that's what I felt like in my teens. And then in my 20s, I really started to wonder, like, man, is, is this a problem? Like, is this something that I need to go and get medicated for? Is this a mental illness? What is going on? And in my 30s, and I want to be very clear, I am not a doctor. So, if you struggle with anxiety or feel like maybe I should talk to a professional, Go talk to a professional. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always struggled with the thought of it because I always felt like if I got medicated, I would be essentially shutting off something that is at the core of who I am. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't fully be me anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: I 100% understand that.
2: So it's only been into my 30s that I've realized, like, wait a second, this is sort of like a superpower. I can use this to be self-aware and I can use this to sort of look at the world and assess the danger, but I can also move past this to really change me and change, maybe not big things in life, but change little things because it all adds up. So Like I just actually wrote about this the other day that in my 20s, I did things that scared me just to see if I could. And in my 30s, I do things that overwhelm me because I know that I can.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's so good. Well, thanks. That's so well put. I have to ask you the biggest question now, which is my least favorite one to ask because I I always like, I'm like nervous. But the question is, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose, I truly, honestly think is
2: to encourage people. Mm. And I think that that I I love feeling that that is my life's purpose because that doesn't have to be huge. Like yeah. my legacy doesn't have to be something that people outside of my family and my friends know about, but that doesn't mean that my legacy is small. It doesn't mm. mean that my legacy is insignificant. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to live I'm I'm so happy leading a small life because it's not small to me. Yeah, it's, it's everything that I want. And, you know, I love the idea that I can speak into my children's lives and actually tangibly be impacting the future of the world. I love the idea that I can go to the grocery store and ask the cashier how they're doing and clue into if they say, oh, really well, or oh, I'm fine and go just fine. What's going on? Are you okay Was someone mean to you? Do I need to find them? Like, what do you need from me? And help them be able to just have a moment of being human and being seen where, because I do it too. I, when I feel insecure or when I feel sad, I feel like no one wants to see that. And so it's so easy to put on that face and go out into the world and be what you think you're supposed to be as opposed to who you are. And I love giving people the opportunity to just be themselves that makes me so happy. And that makes me feel so alive. And I absolutely feel like that is what I'm here to do.
0: I love that your answer, you just had that answer locked and loaded and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't even I
2: thought about, about it. I've spent 35 years thinking about it. Totally. Yeah.
0: I love that. So Hannah, for everyone who loved hearing from you today and wants to get to know you more, where can they find you?
2: Oh, thanks. Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, I am one half of my mama log. Um, so you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I also have, you can find me, I write for our blog, which is mymama log.com. So you can go there and you can get to know me even better. And I'd love to
0: get to know you guys better too. I'd love to see you there. Yeah, and we'll link all of this in the show notes for you guys. So you can easily find it. Um, but thank you, Hannah, so much for being here. It was such a joy to talk to you.
2: Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you for your work that you are doing on Enneagram and coffee. You literally got me through the holidays. Like honestly, thank you so, so much. You wrote something that said, I bring community and I am worthy even when I don't. And I was like sitting in the car trying to like get excited to go and spend some time at like a family party and I was just tired and wanted to go home. And I was like, that's right. I don't have to be the person that brings community tonight. Tonight, I can just be quiet and calm. And that is worthy too. So thank you, Sarah Jane. You have spoken into my life and I really sincerely appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Your life's work is so good. It's making me cry. Oh,
2: (laughs) your life's work makes
1: me cry. I'm not crying. crying.
0: (laughs) That was so, so good. Thank you so much, Hannah. And for those of you guys who want to stay in touch with both Hannah and Kat, I have links for them in the show notes so you can keep up with the amazing work that they're doing. And if you are interested in talking more about your type, learning more about your type, you might be interested in my new book. The Honest Enneagram. The book comes out officially on April 14th, but if you check out the link in the show notes, you will find that it's available for pre order right now. So if you want to read up on the different types, how they play together, and what actions can be taken for personal growth, it's probably a good fit for you. I've written it from a place of self-compassion and understanding and appreciation for the differentiation in each number, while also really acknowledging what kind of work we can do to grow. If you're interested in that, go check out the show notes, click on the link, and be one of the first people to get your book, April 14th, 2020. Until next time, thank you so much for being here, and I will see you in the next episode.